2: Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.
0: Welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind, a production of iHeartRadio.
1: Hey, welcome to Weird House Cinema. This is Rob Lamb. And this is Joe McCormick. And this week on Weird House Cinema, we are, we are obviously tackling G2. We're going to be looking at 1990s Gremlins 2, The New Batch. This is Joe Dante's colossal sequel to the 1984 film
0: Gremlins. Which I had assumed when we picked it was a Christmas movie, but yes. it's not. The original Gremlins is a Christmas movie. G2 might well be in June for all I know. Yeah, it was released in June. Um, but
1: yeah, I, I had this false memory in my head that this too was a Christmas movie, and I, evidently I'm not alone. I think you, you it sounds like you had the same uh, thing in your brain, and I rented the Blu-ray from Videodrome here in Atlanta, the, the, the video store here in Atlanta, and they had it categorized with Christmas movies as well mm. for the holidays. So uh, I, I guess this is like a collective uh, misremembering that we're engaging in here.
0: So it doesn't take place at Christmas, but it is a Christmas tree of a movie, and it yes. overfloweth with lights and uh, and and shiny objects and and presents spilling forth from beneath the boughs. Absolutely. Now, I strongly
1: remember the build up to this film's release. I would have been eleven at the time. It was set to come out in June. Gremlins 2 merchandise was everywhere. The 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 film seemed just destined to satisfy everyone. The trailers just looked fun, even though I don't think I'd actually seen Gremlins 1 at that point, or maybe I'd seen parts of it on TV or something. Uh-huh. But I was convinced Gremlins 2 was going to change the world. Of course, it didn't really changed the world. The box office numbers ended up being, I think, disappointing. The critical reception was kind of mixed at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, I was not aware of any of this, so I stayed strong with my desire to see Gremlins 2, and when it finally became available on a home video, I got to rent it, I got to watch it, and even then, at age 11, I realized this film was a
0: lot. Uh, did the presence of the Hulkster have any sway with you at this time? No, no, not, not at all. Oh, okay. Was it I mean, only later you would you would come to appreciate pro wrestling?
1: Yeah, that would that would come later for me. At the time, you know, you knew who Hulk Hogan was because he yeah. was a superstar, uh, and uh, yeah, spoiler, but but Hulk Hogan is in the movie. He's one of many cameos, uh, many appearances in this film.
0: You know, I think Gremlins Two is kind of ahead of its time. Uh, I I do see that critical reception at the time was mixed. I think a lot of people didn't know what to make of this movie, but I think if Something like this, up- updated a bit for more modern sensibilities, came out now. I think the the reaction might be more resounding appreciation.
1: Yeah, it's. I mean, I don't know if if someone could pull it off as well as uh, as Joe Dante and his 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 team here did, though, because this is one of those rare films that is very self aware, and yet delivers like it's it knows it's goofy it's going for goofy it's breaking the fourth wall it's making fun of the previous gremlins movie it's it's totally wild in this regard and this is the same kind of self-awareness that will that has driven many other films just straight into the ditch as far as watchability and enjoyability goes
0: yeah, it, I would say it's kind of the uh, the Evil Dead two to Gremlins Evil Dead one. Except mm. whereas the Evil Dead movies are they're they're kind of a parlor drama They you know they take place in a single location, they're very focused. This is a voluminous, crazy, overflowing extravaganza. Yeah, yeah, and I think over time people have
1: come to realize that Gremlins two is something special. Uh, it's it's definitely grown a cult following over time. Uh, there was that wonderful key and Peel sketch about the Hollywood sequel Doctor, yes. which is one hundred percent correct and yet doesn't even um, doesn't even like tease half of the weirdness and the, and the the oddities that pop up in this film. like it's uh, if it, it, just the things in that sketch were in the film, it would already be insane, but that's just half the story. yeah. So I think I have to realize, especially after rewatching it, I have to admit that 11-year-old me was absolutely right to be excited about G2, and it was and is, in fact, the greatest
0: Gremlin movie we could possibly hope for. Well, 100% agree. Uh, I, I did not see Gremlins 2 when I was a kid, but I did see Gremlins 1. My dad and I rented it, probably from Turtles Video, uh, when I was in elementary school, and I remember... It being a real mood rattler because Mm. it has that mix of cute, cuddly kid stuff like Gizmo is so adorable. And then mixing that with uh, bizarrely depressing themes and gruesome violence. Yeah. Uh, But despite this mix, I'm pretty sure I loved it at the time. Uh, And I was trying to remember the things that stuck out to me about the film, the the things that really lodged in my memory. Uh, I remember, of course, Gizmo being very cute. I remember the rules, right? There's an important part early on when, uh, when, a, when uh, the, the father character buys Gizmo from the antique shop and he is told the three rules you cannot violate. You cannot shine uh, sunlight uh, bright light, especially sunlight, on the Mogwai because that will kill it. Number two is you can never get it wet. And number three is you can never feed it after midnight.
1: Mm, yeah, these, these rules are great. They're a real head scratcher to try and analyze. The, the, the Gremlins 2 itself pokes a little fun at this. And, uh, and many years ago, I had great fun when I was writing for How Stuff Works, uh, doing a How Stuff Works article about Gremlins and Mogwai, where I, I made a go at describing the science behind all these weird things that they do. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it, it, it re- you really
0: have to twist yourself into a
1: knot to do that kind of thing.
0: The other things I remember, though, gremlins being killed by Billy's mom with kitchen appliances. I think one gets in the blender, she turns yeah. it on. Another one gets in the microwave, she turns it on. So appliances to the rescue. I also remember the gremlins at one point watching Snow White in the movie theater. Uh, and I think Zach Galligan playing the the main human character, Billy, uh, he, he's like, they're watching Snow White and they love it. Uh, and I also remember... Uh, A scene of gremlins raucously partying at a bar, and there's one shot where a gremlin is smoking three cigarettes at the same time, which was hilarious to my little brain. Um, But then the big thing that stuck in my head, maybe more than anything else, involves no gremlins at all. Not a gremlin to be seen. It was a uh, a part of the movie where Phoebe Cates is delivering a monologue about how her father died while trying to crawl down the family's chimney dressed in a Santa Claus suit. Yeah,
1: that, that, just a real bummer of a scene, which is, I think, one of the big reasons that the the film was so jarring and so tonally inconsistent. Uh, is I, th- I think I grew to realize this as a kid because when you ultimately, when you're a kid, you kind of treat movies like you treat people you take them at face value mm. you, you you don't pick and say well i wish this was different i wish that was different It's like well this is the film so it's a little jarring when you encounter a film like gremlins that uh, that is <laughs> you know seems to be divided about whether it's a, a cute film or a horror film etc and this seems just horrific and i don't recall it really
0: accomplishing much for the picture either i mean it's hard to i think it was a- Maybe supposed to be darkly comedic, but it's hard to tell. Anyway, this infamous soliloquy is parodied in G2. (laughs) So you got to appreciate a sequel that directly makes fun of the original film. Like there's a part where Phoebe Cates starts to launch into a monologue about Mm -hmm. how how she has horrible associations with President's Day. Because there was a man (laughs) dressed in an Abe Lincoln suit. And before she can finish it, they kind of just usher her off screen. Yeah, they're like, we we don't have time for this. We've got to go defeat the Gremlins. So I wasn't really aware of Gremlins 2 until probably college when a friend of mine told me, we were talking about Gremlins. He was like, you ever see the second one? And I said, no. And he was like, you've got to watch it because there's a scene where Hulk Hogan appears as himself talking directly into the camera, uh, which confused me. Uh, because, you know, I'd seen the original and that did not seem in keeping with the level of reality in which the the original movie is set. I mean, of course, it's got fantasy elements, but it's a it's a film that maintains its own realism. Yeah, the, I will say and we'll get to the Hulk Hogan
1: scene. The Hulk Hogan scene is is 100 percent earned. Yes, <laughs> it does not feel jarring when it happens in the film, but uh, but yeah, I can understand where just knowing this about the film could could set weird expectations for what it is. But but I'm also glad that you you again mentioned the the grim ones watching Snow White in the first one, the grim ones smoking and all, because I think one would be making an error in hating on G two by holding G one to some unrealistic like uh, serious standard that it wasn't going for either. No,
0: Gremlins 1 is also supposed to be funny, Mm -hmm. but G2 goes to heights unimagined by the first film. So the original Gremlins is very weird. It's kind of hard to say who it's for. Like, is this an R-rated horror movie or a cute Christmas movie for kids? It's it's kind of both, but I I think it's great. Uh, And though a bit of that DNA gets passed on to the sequel, ultimately I think G2 is something different, and it is. The purest essence of gremlins, because what are gremlins with a lowercase G? They are not just any movie monster. Most movie monsters are more than anything, a threat. They are scary because they endanger the lives of the characters. They're scary because they will kill. The gremlins in these movies do participate in violence, But the violence seems kind of secondary. It's just sort of one of their tricks. The violence is one of the outcome paths of their overall mission, which I think would be better uh, designated as just chaos. The gremlins represent anarchy, disorder, the dangerous and destructive side of fun. And in both movies, but especially the second, you see the gremlins playing mean pranks and partying and breaking things and making a mess. Yeah, the, the classic
1: Dungeons & Dragons alignment system just breaks down in the face of gremlins because they would have to be, they couldn't be chaotic evil, they couldn't be like chaotic neutral. They'd have to be chaotic chaotic, which just breaks <laughs> the system. But fortunately, gremlins love to break things, so I guess it works out.
0: Yes, when it's time to party, they will party hard. They will party so hard that there's just broken glass flying all over the place. Uh, There's, you know, uh, like the rooms that they inhabit are quickly, quickly come to be filled with smoke and fumes (laughs) for various reasons. Uh, And this actually, in a thematically wise decision connects to the origin of the gremlin as a a broader creature gremlins unlike most mythical monsters do not originate in the, the myths and folk beliefs of pre-modern times. Gremlins are a 20th century creation. They're part of the culture of aeronautics and, and uh, piloting. I believe particularly the British RAF, who made reference to gremlins as these devilish little saboteurs and mischief makers who would walk around inside the engine with a big pair of scissors and cut the wires while you were in mid-flight for a deadly prank. Gremlins play horrible jokes. Gremlins break things. Gremlins break the rules. Gremlins make a mess. And these antics end up with people maimed or dead. In fact, uh, Rob, I attached a couple of things for you to look at here. These are uh, these are posters from the World War II era saying, you know, basically watch out for gremlins as a metaphor for saying be careful in the workplace. Mm. Because the gremlins could push you into the saw if you're not careful. The gremlins could fling things in your eyes if you're not careful. You got to wear the safety goggles. You got to keep a distance from the saw blade. Don't let the grimsters get you. (laughs) (laughs) So, seeing as they're not your average movie monster, but rather avatars of chaos, that, you know, just mischief and entropy, I think gremlins deserve something different from your average monster movie. And in G2, that is exactly what they got. This movie is absolute (laughs) chaos. It does not tell a conventional story with a conventional plot. It does not attempt to maintain the suspension of disbelief. Like there's not... um integrity of its setting as a real world within the film instead g2 just wants to show you things it's a lot of hey look at this and some of those things will be weird images like hey here's a gremlin made out of vegetables it's got tomatoes for cheeks or here's a gremlin with spider legs Sometimes those things will be bizarre scenes like the the talk show interview where the brainy gremlin explains what the gremlins want. And it turns out what they want is civilization uh, (laughs) or the part where there's like a chorus of gremlins singing New York, New York. Sometimes it's going to be visual gags like where the gremlin with bat wings flies through a wall and leaves a hole that is the Tim Burton (laughs) Batman symbol. Uh, or just sometimes going to be out of nowhere fourth wall breaking gags like when Hulk Hogan yells at us or when we see the film critic Leonard Maltin show up to give a one star review of Gremlins 1 only to then be murdered by Gremlins.
1: Oh, it's such a great scene. I mean, both of these scenes are great. Like The Hulk Hogan scene, of course, is that the Gremlins have disrupted uh the film projector in the, uh, in the theater in which we are ideally watching the film. And then then we're sort of transport. Oh, it's it, there are many layers to it.
0: Yeah. So, we're no, we, we should actually try to describe what happens there just to give you a flavor of the like how many walls are being broken. Mm-hmm. They, they break up to like the eighth wall. <laughs> <Yeah>. So the, <laughs> you're watching the movie and then suddenly it looks as if the film you are watching that's been projected in the theater has been destroyed. Like it kind of burns mm-hmm. through and then the screen turns white. And then you see gremlins making shadow puppets in front oh, of the projector. Goodness. Yes. And then we zoom out to see inside a theater. So I guess presumably at first you were tricked into thinking something has happened on the screen and you're in the theater. But now you're looking at a theater on the screen. And in the theater, there's Hulk Hogan. Oh, there's a lady who walks out of the theater and complains to theater manager, played by Paul Bartel, uh, yes. <laughs> saying, like, this movie is trash. And he's like, we don't make the movies, ma'am, We just show them. Uh, and the mom, by the way, is Belinda Belaski. Uh, Who appears
1: in a number of Joe Dante's films, like The Howling, the original Uh Gremlins, and Piranha.
0: Yeah, and then the Hulkster shows up, and the Hulkster threatens the Gremlins. I think he's like, I'm going to come up there, and I'm going to show you who's boss. (laughs) And they
1: listen. They listen. They back down.
0: Yeah. (laughs) So, G2 is not just a movie about Gremlins it was made by Gremlins. Gremlins have taken over the script, the camera, the editing. And in that sense, I think it's almost sort of an art, an art film. G2 is genius.
1: It is. There's as much as I, I love the Key and Peele sketch. Uh, I've watched it so many times. And it is at one level, it is 100% correct. Uh, about the the vibe of the film. And I think uh, Joe Dante and, uh, uh, and and folks have, have kind have of also said that they, they enjoy it and, and, and think some of it matches up with the experience. But on the other hand, yes, this is not a slapdash film. This is a film that knows exactly what it is going for and it succeeds at creating that experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think the result is a very enjoyable film. It's a great film. I'll, I'll say it, G2 is a great film. I think it's better than Dances with Wolves, which won the Oscar that year <laughs>
0: <laughs> for Best Picture. G two yeah. should have taken Best Picture.
1: Me- well, maybe.
0: Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, what's the elevator pitch on G
1: two? The, the The first one that came to my mind is Gremlins take Manhattan, and I, I that's I Perfect. think that's it. <laughs>
0: Oh, if only it had an opening theme song like in uh, Jason Takes Manhattan. What, what is that monologue? <laughs> the city that never sleeps. You got to get the fear pumping, good people. All right. Well, well, in a way,
1: we'll get the fear pumping a little bit because we're about to play for you the audio of the trailer. Uh, this was like, a, I think, an early trailer for it, but, uh, but it's a really good one. It reminds us of the rules. And if I'm not mistaken, it has a voiceover by Don LaFontaine, the voice of God. Uh, so, it's a good
2: Remember the last time? We told you not to feed them after midnight. We told you to keep them away from the light. And the most important warning of all, we told you to never, ever get them wet. You didn't listen. You
1: didn't listen. <laughs> Here we are.
2: They're mutating. <laughs> Sir, is the building on fire? No, no, that's a false alarm. <laughs> are you trying to panic New York City? Absolutely. <laughs> so the monsters are real? I didn't say that. <laughs> gremlins 2 the new batch now was that civilized no clearly not fun but in no sense civilized
1: now real quick uh, if you've not seen ones 2 or you want to see it again at this point if you need a break and go watch it uh well lucky for you this is a major release you can you can get a copy of this in pretty much any format you desire it's widely available i ended up renting it on blu-ray from Video Drone because i forgot that it was streaming on hbo max so if you're an hbo max subscriber as of this recording you can go watch it there that's how i saw it though i guess ideally you need to watch it in a theater Yes. That is about to be overtaken by gremlins and you need to have Hulk Hogan in the audience with you. Yeah. Did
0: Hulk Hogan attend the premiere?
1: I don't know. This was, this was a film that there, there was a lot to wrangle with this film. I didn't get a chance to look at uh, the premiere uh, photos. Um, and I guess it's a good point to mention this as we go into the, the some of the connections, the people of note involved here, this cast is immense. If yeah. you count not only the main cast but all the cameos and the bit parts played by up-and-coming actors who'd later go on to to be bigger names, there's so many people that we're going to not have time to mention or I'm just going to have to mention briefly.
0: Yeah, the cast is enormous, uh especially including all the cameos and even there are people who I think were not cameos at the time, they're just who were minor actors at the mm-hmm. time who later went on to have recognizable careers. Like when, when we were watching the cast, scroll down the screen, I was just seeing like, what? Oh, minor part played by I- Isaiah Whitlock who played a character on the wire or like, yeah. uh, wait, is that Dean Norris? <laughs> yeah. Dean
1: Norris is like a SWAT team member. And I didn't even recognize, I didn't notice him at all. Isaiah Whit- Whitlock Jr. Is a fireman and I didn't notice him at all. So yeah, their names like that just sprinkled in there.
0: But okay, first we got to do the director. So G2 and G1, both Joe Dante. That's right. Born
1: 1946. And I don't know about you, but I always had a hard time classifying Joe Dante. Uh, You could say horror legend. Yeah, I think that's not incorrect. But he's also got more than a dash of that Spielbergian uh, energy as well. Mm -hmm. Um, He's also a a man after my own heart. Uh, He has a, a great love for film trailers. See his long running trailers from hell series. Uh, as a horror director, we can instantly look to such films as The Howling from 1981, which is, a, a, as I recall, a pretty stellar werewolf film. There's Piranha from 1978, and then I guess you could qualify Gremlins as a horror movie. Again, uh, it's kind of all over the place with that one.
0: Yeah, oh, Piranha in 78, that makes me wonder if Joe Dante had early association with the Corman camp. There are a number of Corman, uh connections to be made just in this film alone, yeah. Okay,
1: I, then I, I, I can't confirm that, but I suspect it now. He also directed the segment, It's a Good Life in Twilight Zone, the movie from 1983. Uh, and yeah, on the other side of things, he did 1985, The Explorers, 1987's Inner Space, which I loved as a kid. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just haven't seen it in forever, but oh, I would, I would build those little micro subs uh, or my versions of them out of Legos.
0: Wait, is that the one where they shrink down and go inside a human body? Not just uh, any human body. It's Martin
1: Short, right? They go into okay. wait. It's Martin Short is the human,
0: wait, which was there was one. I think there were two different movies like that, weren't there? Like in one of them was the also the premise of a ride at Epcot Center. Am I wrong about that? <laughs> <laughs>
1: um, I'm not sure about that. Um, okay, but yeah, interspace Space is the one where uh, I think you had Dennis Quaid as the guy inside the little submarine, and he mm. goes into. Martin Short's body and at times controls Martin Short's body. And then, uh, yeah, there, a lot of antics ensue. But there's a lot of cool, fantastic voyage t- type stuff happening inside the body there.
0: Oh, yeah. just looked it up. Interspace has a lot of cast overlap with G2. Mm-hmm. Got Dick Miller, got Picardo, got uh, Henry Gibson. They're all showing up. Picardo in that one plays
1: the the like, the like enemy agent who gets in his own tiny submarine. <laughs> And Dennis Quaid and him have this battle inside of like Martin Short's stomach or something. Awesome. Uh, and so Martin Short's like, you know, physically ill while these two were fighting to the death inside of his stomach acid. It's wonderful.
0: Nice. Okay, wait, but back to Dante.
1: Yeah, yeah. So uh, on top of that, there's 1989's The Burbs, 1993's Matinee, all fun films. But uh, But outside of the horror box, by and large, I guess The Burbs has horror elements, though. On top of that, he also did some TV work, including directing episodes of Police Squad with Leslie Nielsen. Mm. So I think if you take all that in, Gremlins 2 is kind of an interesting amalgam of these apparent interests and cinematic values, because... uh, while less tonally inconsistent, it, it does still manage to deliver some scares, some some goofy stuff, some creepy stuff. It definitely wears its love for genre cinema on its sleeve, with numerous references to uh, to various films. Uh, it tries its its hand at some very broad parody, and above all, it's just it's fun. It focuses on the fun. Now, on the writing side of things, the original Gremlins was written by Christopher Columbus of all people though I believe he was like maybe the fourth person to write that script and was just the the only name that retained credit.
0: Christopher Columbus, like the Home Alone guy? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Okay. Yeah, this
1: one, however, is the work of Charles S. Haas, born 1952, who wrote the 1979 teen rebel movie Over the Edge, did uncredited work on the Tron screenplay, as well as 1989's Martians Go Home and Dante's Matinee.
0: I think a lot of this movie, though, I mean, I don't know because I'm not looking at the script right now, but Mm -hmm. I imagine a lot of stuff in it is just concept work more than like writing out a scene with dialogue like, oh, what if we showed this here? And then we transitioned to that. And then we had somebody just improv and and so forth. Though it would be an interesting experiment to see
1: someone write the script for Gremlins 2 as if (laughs) everything in the movie is on the page. Yeah. It's a, good, it's a good one for like really uh, mean-spirited screenplay writing uh, uh, teachers. That would be great. Okay, now normally we don't talk about special effects till later, but um, we have to mention that uh, the special effects supervisor and co-producer of credit on this is uh, the legendary Rick Baker.
0: Special effects are front and center in Gremlins 2, and they are phenomenal.
1: Yeah. When you, when you think about Rick Baker... Uh, and and I recommend you do. He ha- he has a great Instagram, by the way. Definitely worth following. Um, it, you know, he's directed so many monster movies and also a lot of non-monster movies. And it's easy to focus on things like An American Werewolf in London or Videodrome or to go in a different direction, Gorillas in the Mist. Uh, but I have to say, Baker and his team just absolutely knock it out of the park with Gremlins too. You go back and you look at the original Gremlins and the creatures have character But they're very rough around the edges. There's a very much, uh, there's still kind of a feeling of throw a puppet across the room kind of a thing, you know? Yeah. Gremlins 2 is a huge leap forward in puppetry and special effects, giving us just a whole mob of convincing gremlins, each with their own character. And Gizmo, Gizmo himself in this is, is just a living creature. I mean, it, Gizmo alone is a master stroke in this film. He's as real as he is adorable, and he is so adorable every moment he's on screen. <laughs> the cute could not be cranked up any higher. It's just like supernatural. I mean, not, it is, it's like supernatural, but also super normal stimuli. The uh-huh. close-ups especially. Like anytime Gizmo's on the screen,
0: you just can't help but squirm at <laughs> just how adorable he is. I had the exact same reaction. The puppets in this movie are alive. You could not tell me those are not real living gremlins. Yeah, they're just—they're just so good. And of course, with
1: the gremlins proper, they're so gross. There's so many gross scenes with the yeah, gremlins. There's some real slime. But then also there are lots of fun, very cartoony effects. And on the and on the uh, the, the the subject of cartoons, worth pointing out that uh, animation legend Chuck Jones. Uh, the opening and closing animation sequences for this that feature, although the opening has Bugs Bunny and Daffy Duck in it, and
0: at the end we have Porky Pig as well. And no gremlins. The opening animation no. is just an unrelated Bugs Bunny cartoon. Yeah. <laughs> but I think that sets the tone appropriately because it's just chaos. Absolutely. And yeah, if if
1: your, your intro, it's it's like they're saying this is going to be a cartoon. Just bear that in mind as we continue. All right, so you want to try to do some of the cast? Yeah, I'm, I'm not going to get into the very small parts. If they come up later in discussion, we'll reference them. But yeah, there are a lot of people I'm not going to reference. Let's just start with our main human cast. Human characters who have uh, some degree of, uh, you know, of, 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 of character and, I don't know, an arc, if you will. Mm-hmm. But uh, at the top, we have, we, we have Billy and Kate. Uh, Billy is played by Zach Galligan born 1964. This is our small town kid from the first movie, now living and working in the Big Apple. He's probably best known for his role in the Gremlins movies, but he was also in uh, uh, 1988's Waxwork, its 1992 sequel. He's in 1992's Hellraiser 3, Hell on Earth, which in a weird way is almost the Gremlins 2 of the Hellraiser movies, (laughs) but falls short of actually like pulling that off.
0: Oh, you can imagine the Key Peel Peele sketch uh, style script meeting for Hellraiser three. <laughs> yeah. It's like, what about CD CD Cinebite? Um, <laughs> it's in the movie. <laughs>
1: yeah. Uh, but he's also, uh, he's also in the 1993's warlock, the Armageddon. Uh, he's in the strung along episode of tales from the crypt. This is one of at least a couple of twisted puppeteer episodes. This is the one that starred Donald O'Connor, but, not Okay, so that's Billy. But then Kate is played by Phoebe Cates, born in 1963. This is Billy's girlfriend from the first movie. They've She's moved to New York City with him, and she also works at the same uh, high-rise building. Mm-hmm. Uh, other films of note include 1982's Fast Times at Ridgemont High, 83's Private School. Oh, and also 1991's Drop Dead Fred, in which <laughs> Rick Mayall plays her imaginary friend in a movie directed by Ate De Jong, who also did... Highway to Hell, which we covered oh. on the show previously. I don't think she's active as, a, as an actor anymore. I could be mistaken on that. but I think she like, runs a New York City boutique, and she's mm-hmm. been married to the actor Kevin Klein since
0: 1989. Very, very charming lead couple uh, in both yeah. of these movies. It is hard not to like uh, Zach and Phoebe in these roles.
1: Absolutely. Now, we also have a character in this <laughs> film by the name of Daniel Clamp, uh, played by John Glover. <laughs> Born nineteen forty four. So first of all, let's just focus on the fact that this is the actor John Glover. Um, John Glover is an incredible character actor. He's got this this kind of this like handsome, charming, impish uh, um, um, vibe to him. Uh, he plays the the mental institution front desk guy in John Carpenter's In the Mouth of
0: Madness. I was going to say he's kind of evil Hugh Grant, but actually, I think yeah. Hugh Grant is evil John Glover. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, like there's even as he play, he plays a lot of villains,
1: but he brings a certain charm to them. Um, he, he, well, not only sinister villains, but also he, he, especially earlier in his career, he was able to play sort of um, preppy villains as well. I yeah. don't remember this character entirely, but he played Bruce Cummings in 1988 Scrooged. Uh, I've seen Scrooge, but I don't remember who that is. I think this is just like the 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 the, the foil to Bill Murray. Like, this is some guy Bill Murray's character doesn't like. Okay. Uh, yeah, which I guess is kind of a, that's kind of a, a trope character in and of itself. Uh, I think he also played the sinister bomb maker in the 1999 revenge film Payback. And he's done a lot of voice work as well. He voiced the Riddler on Batman the Animated Series.
0: Oh, I love Batman the Animated Series. Yeah. Got yeah, a lot of great is. voice work on that. Indeed. His, uh, his
1: TV credits are just all over the place. He's been in, in everything from Tales from the Crypt to Murder, She Wrote. Uh, he also has uh, – he's had some interesting bit parts over the years. He plays uh, an ex-boyfriend in Annie Hall and has a, a, a weird scene in that. And he's the Magnavolt salesman in
0: RoboCop 2. <laughs> RoboCop 2 is another movie that in in a less child-friendly way has some Gremlins 2 type energy. I think so, yeah. That's another one that I, I, I enjoy. Okay, but wait a minute. We've got some, some stuff going on with this character because he – so this is a kind of, I don't know. You might say he's sort of set up as a villain of the movie, but then doesn't really become one. Uh, he his name is Daniel Clamp, and he plays a uh, a sort of fame hungry uh, real estate developer in New York who owns a a famous tower. Yeah,
1: yeah. So there's a little bit of Ted Turner to the character in that he also runs an, an like a cable channel, a uh-huh. uh, network or something, but. Yeah, the Donald Trump parody vibes are extremely overt with this. It's impossible to ignore. Mm -hmm. However, this isn't nearly as distracting as you might think. If you haven't seen this movie before, or you perhaps haven't seen it since you were a kid, um, it's not like Donald Trump actually showing up in Home Alone 2. (laughs) And I think part of this is that John Glover, of course, is just so good and has sort of a natural charm to him. And he doesn't do a straightforward impersonation. He's not doing an impersonation um, of this real-life individual. The character of Daniel Clamp goes off and kind of has its own dimensions. So yeah, he's he's greedy, he's obsessed with his own image, but he's not the outright villain of the picture. And based on a couple of different interviews I, I read, one from 1990, one from 2016. Oh, and there was also a, a 1990 Fresh Air with Terry Gross interview with uh, Glover, where he talks about uh, Gremlins Uh, 2. Based on all of this, it seems like maybe he was going to be more of a villain at some point in the development of the the script, but they pulled back on it for a few different reasons. And so the the final product feels distinct and, and a little, like it's definitely a parody of Trump, but it's not Trump. And therefore I didn't find it nearly as distracting Uh, As I kind of expected it to, you know, like it doesn't force me to think about politics all that much whilst watching a Gremlins movie.
0: Yeah, it's also so it's clearly the character is based on Donald Trump in terms of situation, like he is a a fame hungry uh, Manhattan real estate developer who owns the the high rise tower where the movie is set. And yet it doesn't seem to be strongly based on Trump's real personality. And yeah. the way Glover plays it is an interesting choice. You can almost feel the actor's role in diverting the character from its original trajectory uh, because of how much fun he's obviously having with it. Mm-hmm. I think like elements of that raw, ravenous greed and the, you know, the, the narcissistic nastiness still peak through, but Glover has transformed the character into Into something very different, like more of an exuberant, oblivious man-child who is just so excited about being a billionaire, and he's thrilled at all the fun stuff that he gets to do because he's a billionaire. I think the original, more strictly Trump-like, more overtly villainous version of this character would have worked, but it also would have been more familiar, more like the, uh, like you know, like the villains we see in RoboCop and a bunch of other movies from the period, which are great, by the way. I mean, I love Dick Jones. I love all the OCP suits in RoboCop. But Glover's uh, Daniel Clamp becomes something different, kind of fresher and weirder. He plays this character like a simple-minded man who is surprised to find himself so rich and powerful and famous, and just jazzed about it every day.
1: Yeah, I think I think that sums it up. So it's a fun performance. He has a lot of screen time, uh, and, uh, and 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 hangs around longer than you'd think. Like in another f- version of Gremlins Two, he would have been eaten by a Gremlin. About halfway through, or something, or you know, launched out of a cannon, or something. But yeah, uh, but but that's not how it goes down. All right, let's see other who other other actors of note here. These are kind of supporting characters. I'll try and move more quickly through these. Uh, we have a character named Grandpa Fred who pops up. And honestly, up until this week, I thought this was actually Grandpa Munster, aka, uh, or or real name, Al Lewis, (laughs) because that's essentially what the character is. It's Grandpa Munster. He's a late-night horror TV host. But it's not Al Lewis. It's Robert Prosky, who lived 1930 through 2008, known for such films as uh, Michael Mann's Thief, as well as Michael Mann's The Keep, 87's Broadcast News, Mrs. Doubtfire, and Dead Man Walking.
0: It took me a minute to... Uh, figure out where I recognized him most from, and I realized it was from the, uh, the fantasy action film, The Last Action Hero, uh, where Robert Prosky plays the film projectionist who gives the kid in the movie the magic movie ticket that allows him to enter the world of films. Ah, uh, okay. All right. Uh, let's see another character. Okay, this this character is basically uh,
1: Clamp's right hand man. He's kind of like fixer and uh, facilities manager. It's the character Forster, played by Robert Picardo, born 1953. A frequent Dante cast uh, casting choice. Um, he, a lot of TV viewers are probably familiar with him from such shows as, uh, or at least older TV viewers from the Wonder Years, China Beach, Star Trek Voyager, and uh, and also Stargate. Uh, but he was also in the films The Howling. Uh, He was in the 1987 Gromlin's movie, Munchies, uh, 87's (laughs) Inner Space. Oh, he's Johnny Cab in 1990's Total Recall. (gasps) I didn't realize that was him. I didn't either, but he's credited as being the voice and the inspiration for the likeness. Oh, now I can hear it. As soon as you said that, the door opened, you got in. (laughs) I didn't even realize this either, but in Ridley Scott's 1985 film Legend, uh, he plays Meg Mucklebones. Huh? Yeah.
0: Okay. Wouldn't have recognized him there
1: either. No, I mean, yeah, I wouldn't recognize anybody. You could put anybody in the (laughs) McMuckle Bones makeup and they would be unrecognizable. But uh, anyway, he's been in a ton of stuff. He was also in uh, 2016's Hail Caesar from the Coen Brothers. Okay. In terms of villainous actors, though, uh, we, of course, have to point out that Christopher
0: Lee is in this. Oh, Christopher Lee is great in this. He plays a character named Dr. Cushing Catheter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Dr. Catheter. Uh, and I think also obviously the first name is a is a Peter Cushing reference. Oh, oh of course it is. Yeah. That that one flew right past me.
1: But um but yeah, uh, he plays the the head of the uh, the genetic manipulation lab that uh, is renting off space in uh, the Clamp hmm. Tower or, or whatever it's called here. And, yeah, he seems like he's having a really good time hamming it up Is this, um, this essentially a mad scientist. Uh, and it was it was fun watching with my I watched the, uh, this with my son. And when uh, Christopher Lee showed up, uh, he was like, hey, it's Dooku. And indeed, it is Dooku
0: uh I love how when we very first meet him he's going through packages he received in the mail hoping they're various kinds of disease samples he's like I want anthrax and they give me the flu <laughs>
1: <laughs> All right another bit bit role this is a character that shows up seeming more like an extra but has like a slightly bigger role as it pro- progresses we have uh Getty Watanabe playing um a character that I believe is credited as Mr. Katsuji uh, but essentially what we have here is, is he plays a, a stereotype of an Asian tourist, mm-hmm. a man that we see going around with a whole bunch of cameras, just taking photographs nonstop, and eventually gets roped into filming for the, the grandpa character, our, our horror host character. And I guess there is a fun scene there where he says, he says, hey, do you know how to work a camera? And he says, I am a camera. And, uh, and then they go off.
0: I don't know why people thought this was so funny. There are so many movies from the 80s that have the stereotype of the Japanese tourist who won't stop taking pictures of everything. Uh, it's it's a really annoying cliche. But at the same time, Getty Watanabe is an immensely likable guy, despite the fact that he's unfortunately cast in these stereotypical roles throughout the 80s. Yeah,
1: I mean, he he's still acting today and his roles have certainly matured a, a whole lot. But um, yeah, he was, um, you know, th- this particular role is reminiscent of some of the offensively stereotypical roles that, uh, that he played during the 1980s, most notably his role in 16 Candles. But he also, he pops up in other films like he's in the, the otherwise stylish, but also problematic in other ways, Grace Jones' film Vamp. Um, he has this, this very stereotypical and offensive character in that as well. He was also in the Weird Al movie U, uh,
0: UHF, but I, oh, yeah. I don't really remember who he played in that. I do not remember either, but uh, UHF, also a very chaotic, fun movie. Now, another
1: character that re- returns from the previous Gremlins film, at least in a very small role at the beginning, is the character of Mr. Wing, played by Key Luke, who lived 1904 through
0: 1991. Oh, he's come up on the show before.
1: Yeah, yeah, he uh, he was a Chinese American actor who was in a ton of films from the classic era, including Mad Love in 1935. So if you go back to our Mad Love episode, uh, we we reference him on that because he plays this kind of a background character, but he plays this character, Doctor Wong. Now, naturally, given the time during which he was active, many of his roles also um, uh, conformed to Chinese stereotypes and stereotypes of Chinese Americans at the time, but you know still a rather groundbreaking figure and a founding member of the screen actors guild
0: i think i read something about how in the gremlins movies uh so he's sup- supposed to play an old man who runs this curiosity shop that sells the uh the the mogwai to um to uh hoyt axton or hoyt axton or ashton Are we, whatever the the father figure in the first movie mm-hmm. and uh, i think what i read was that he uh is supposed to be an old man, and despite actually being quite old when they filmed the movie, they had to put him in makeup to make him look older because he just looked too youthful when he got old.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, Hoyt Axton was no spring chicken. I, a Key Luke really took care of himself. I mean, he's eating right, he's, he's living with a mogwai. Uh, well, I mean, that's the character. That's the, a mogwai, uh, I
0: would imagine, as long as it doesn't get wet and make the, the transition, a mogwai really adds years to your life.
1: If you if you got to have a good good well I don't know well that's this is a big question regarding uh, Gizmo because Gizmo is good Gizmo yes. is a little too curious for his own good G- this whole everything that happens in G two could have been avoided if Gizmo could have just remained in a drawer for two hours um, but but still he's very likable he has a great demeanor but the instant he uh, reproduces via water splash um, all of his offspring. are... Are chaotic and/or nasty. So one wonders: is like, is this like the sign of a of a mature Mogwai that has been able to devote uh, his life or its life to um, you know the, the pursuit of, um, of 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 order and calmness and a yeah. quiet life of re- recollection uh, and reflection?
0: Or uh, is this just an anomaly? Yeah. Why is Gizmo unlike the others? That's a great question. Yeah. This Um, film will not answer that question. No. (laughs) Today's episode is brought to you by eBay. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then, through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles in a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right.
1: Start saving on wireless today at visible.com monthly rate on the visible plan for data management practices and additional terms. Visit visible.com.
0: Maybe we should talk about uh, how exactly it works in case you've never seen either of these movies. So the gremlin progression is gizmo is the original gremlin. Gizmo is—he's a creature called a mogwai. He's a fuzzy, cute, adorable, good-natured little critter. Uh, he's got, uh, you know, just the adorable eyes, and and he's great. But if you get him wet, things pop off of his back, and they shoot all over the place, and they turn into. Also, still fuzzy but mean spirited little creatures. And then, if the fuzzy but mean spirited little creatures eat after midnight, then they turn into uh, green, scaly, slimy, murderous creatures.
1: Yeah. Like a question that, you, that might arise is well, what if, what, what would happen if Gizmo were to eat after midnight? Now, here's the thing Gizmo would never eat after midnight. Gizmo is a good boy, he, he would <laughs> never do that. And I don't know that we would want to explore what would happen if, in a film if he did. But if he did, would he
0: be a good gremlin? It seems like maybe he would. Maybe it would turn him into like a beefed up good gremlin. So he could be yeah. like the, the scaly, big brawny gremlin who can fight the other scaly gremlins because he's on the side of good.
1: I would allow it in a picture so long as he got to change back into cute Mogwai gizmo at the end. Uh, You you can't have gizmo permanently changing into a scaly gremlin. That's just not good for business.
0: Okay. We're barely
1: into the cast.
0: Okay. (laughs) We've got to pick up the pace somehow. Okay.
1: All right. (laughs) Uh, We have a character named Marla Bloodstone played by Haviland Morris, uh, born 1959, an ambitious chain-smoking scarlet-haired workplace vixen. Um, a really fun, over-the-top character. Uh, this actor played Caroline in 1984's 16 Candles. She was also in the 1987 Madonna vehicle. Who's that girl? Who was that girl? Well, it was Madonna. Uh, and then a whole lot of TV work over the years, including one episode of Tales from the Dark Side. Uh, yeah, it's an extremely over-the-top performance, but in Gremlins 2, it works perfectly.
0: She plays, uh, she plays Zach Galligan's boss, who is sexually harassing him. And uh, she's great in in this role. And she uh, there's one really great moment at the end where uh, they're they're all like putting together a plan to defeat the gremlins and they're giving tasks to different people. And I think they say to uh, to Haviland Morris, they're just like, you smoke cigarettes. And she goes, "Okay, got it. (laughs) Now, this already sounds like enough human characters for a movie that's
1: mostly about gremlins. But no, the Futtermans are coming to town as well. They're from the first movie. <laughs> I don't remember them at all. I had to um I had to be reminded. But yeah, Dick uh, Miller plays Murray Futterman and Jackie Joseph plays Sheila Futterman and uh yeah, they're here to visit our main characters. They just kind of seem to show up unannounced right in the midst of all this gremlin mischief.
0: How many movies have we talked about that had Dick Miller in them? I I can definitely think of two, both Corman associated. He was in Chopping Mall as the janitor, and he was the vacuum salesman in Not of This Earth. Oh, he was in the Tales from the Crypt movie as well. Um, uh,
1: the good one, um, <laughs> uh, Demon Night. He was in
0: Demon Night. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Dick Miller, uh one of our favorite character actors. He he livens up everything he appears in. Even he, he, he's one of those actors I think you give him a bit part where all he's supposed to do is, you know, be a janitor and say like, "Uh, oh, I got to clean these floors. I hate my job." And he just he breathes life into that grumpy role.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's pretty much what he did in Shopping Mall, right? Yeah. Yeah. But um yeah, in, in this, he's fun. He gets to beat up on some gremlins. Yeah, it's it Dick Miller's always always great on the screen. Oh, but Jackie Joseph, who plays his wife in this, born 1933, uh, she was a regular on the Doris Day show in the early 70s, and she was in 1960's The Little Shop of Horrors. All right, uh, just a couple more (laughs) before we we move out of the humans here. But uh, we also have a pair of identical twins, Don and Dan Stanton, playing Martin and Lewis, Uh, They were both born in 1952, obviously. Uh, Identical twin actors who play these, yeah, it's like a Tweedledum and Tweedledee sort of thing, except they're scientists working for Dr. Catheter. Uh, These guys were never in a ton of stuff, but they have a memorable scene in Terminator 2.
0: Oh, they played the cop who gets eye spiked by the T-1000 in the mental institution. Remember? Yes. The T-1000, I guess he morphs up out of the floor and becomes one of them and then spikes the other one.
1: Yeah, that's a scene where I, I never looked into it. I always thought it was just special
0: effects magic. Turns out it was twin magic. Hiring twins are probably cheaper than, than doing special effects.
1: Yeah. Oh, now this one's borderline cameo or small part, but Julia Sweeney plays Peggy, the receptionist for Dr. Catheter, born 1959, American actor and comedian, probably best known for her uh, stint on Saturday Night Live from 1990 through 1994.
0: The The joke being that, Dr. Catheter is receiving all these diseases in the mail, and she's sitting there at the reception desk, like constantly sneezing and coughing. And at one point, he's like, may I have that tissue? Yes. <laughs> all right. So there are more humans. We may reference more
1: humans, but those are some of the main ones. Real quick, voice acting for, for Gremlins and Mogwai. Gizmo is voiced by Howie Mandel. Okay. Howie Mandel born 1955 this may be Howie Mandel's finest work and it's 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 perfect like the voice is just perfect there's it, it, you know Gizmo doesn't say much but what mm. he does say totally resonates and feels cute um, Mandel, of course is a Canadian American actor and comedian he played a sea monkey dad on the amazing Life uh, live sea Monkeys from 1992 and was the creator producer and lead voice actor on the cartoon Bobby's world from 1990 through 1998.
0: Now, one thing this movie has that the previous movie does not have, there are a lot of things like that, but one really notable one is a talking full Grimlified <laughs> gremlin.
1: Yeah, a gremlin that injects itself with brain serum, like super smart serum that's you know very clearly labeled from the uh, the the genetic splicing lab that Doctor uh, Catheter handles. And yeah, once he uh, once this uh, this uh, serum takes effect, well now he can talk. He's very intellectual, and of course he wears like a, a tweed jacket, puts on some spectacles, and smokes a pipe.
0: And his voice, as far as I could tell, is supposed to be a posh Australian accent. I was a little confused there. Yeah, it's, it's kind of hard to nail
1: down, but it, it is, he was voiced by Tony Randall, who lived 1920 through 2004, legendary American actor, probably best known for his role as, as Felix Unger in the television adaptation of the 1965 play The Odd Couple by Neil Simon. But This is a guy that acted in film, on TV, on Broadway, uh, and here he is in G2. Now you'd be shocked if Frank Welker didn't show up. Yeah, Frank Welker, of course, shows up. He's the voice of Mohawk, uh, Mohawk uh, Gremlin. I'm not sure which Gremlin this was. The Gremlin that kind of looks like the Gremlin, the bad, super bad Gremlin from the first movie. Uh-huh. But I don't remember what happens to this one. If he's the one, is this the one that winds up in the paper? Spider?
0: Site? Oh, I was thinking maybe this is the spider one, but maybe he's the shredder one. I don't know. Could be. It becomes. Yeah, it's
1: easy to lose track of the pre-mutation Gremlins. And not all the, the Gremlins mutate. There's one that just starts smoking a cigar, and that's his thing for the rest of the <laughs> picture. There's another one that gets his face burnt by acid, acid that's clearly labeled do not throw in face. Yes. One of the other Gremlins throws the acid in his face, and then he grabs a Phantom of the Arp- Opera mask and starts running around as the Phantom of the Opera. He plays the organ. <laughs> yeah. So not an actual, um, you know, genetic mutation, but you know, the, the the gremlins in this movie are quick to latch on to an identity. All right. So it, there are a lot of cameos. I don't know. Do you want to mention any of these these cameos that you were particularly taken with? Or do you want to wait and see if they come up organically?
0: Uh, see? Let's see. Oh, well, I did have a note on Henry Gibson, which I thought was a funny choice. Oh,
1: yeah. Yeah, Henry Gibson pops up as an employee who's fired for smoking via, like, a um, security camera.
0: Yeah, I think this is is to show off the the tower where the movie takes place. Their surveillance and uh, Henry Gibson is taking a smoke break, and they like zoom in on his face, and they're like, "Employee number five seven five, whatever, uh, you are fired for taking a break." And this is Henry Gibson, who uh, did many things. The most notable to me is that he appears in Robert Altman's excellent ambient drama Nashville from seventy five. Uh playing Haven Hamilton, sort of the old guard of the Nashville country music machine, wearing a nudie suit. Uh there's a great scene where he's recording a patriotic song about America for the bicentennial that has the chorus, We must be doing something right to last two hundred years. Oh yeah. You know, I've I've never actually seen Nashville. Oh. Um,
1: I, I'm familiar with it for its, uh, you know, it's a legendary picture for its uh, its music and its approach to music and all. But um, great cast. I probably knew Henry Gibson best from Joe Dante's 1989 film, The Burbs, <laughs> in which he's one of Tom Hanks' many weird uh, neighbors. Which also includes one of
0: the other weird neighbors in that film is Brother Theodore. Hmm. Oh, what was the movie we saw with uh, Brother Theodore? Be- it was like preaching on the street or something. That was the film starring Warhawk Tanzania. <laughs> oh yes the speech about how god is dead and the rats are screaming
1: yes yes uh devil's devil's express yeah yeah, yeah. for 1976 starring warhawk tanzania you know just your average new york martial arts picture about a demon uh from across the ocean that takes up in the new york city subway system
0: okay do we have to throw in the towel on cameos though because we, we didn't mentioning so. a lot
1: yeah, there are a lot of great ones. If they come up later in the discussion organically, I'll reference them. Otherwise, write in with your favorite, and maybe we can talk about it on Lister Mail.
0: Okay, so as far as plot breakdown goes, I'm going to say Gremlins 2 is actually uh, somewhat light on plot, which is to say the action of the film is not tightly logical. It is more a movie about creating situations or premises and and then exploiting those for just lots of random bits of spectacle and gags. It's kind of a variety show. So what are those premises? Well, I'd say mainly it is a parody of modern city life as seen in 1990, especially business culture, technology, media, and capitalism. And this is all wrapped up into one very convenient setting, the Clamp Premier Regency Trade Center and Retail Concourse—a sort of uh, cross between Trump Tower, the CNN Center, the Starship Enterprise, and the <laughs> building from Chopping Mall. Yeah, there is kind
1: of a yeah chopping chopping mall uh, uh, shopping mall kind of a vibe to it.
0: So it's supposed to be this computerized Marvel full of high-tech upgrades uh, such as automatic revolving doors, which are a miracle of efficiency as a voiceover informs us while we watch people getting stuck in them and un- like unable to get out. In fact, it's a joke recurring throughout the movie that nobody can get through the automatic revolving doors and they have to just go around to the other doors.
1: Yeah, even the SWAT team can't figure it out when they show up at the end of the picture.
0: Yeah. And also every inch of the building is under surveillance with cameras and computers that have sensors on everything. Uh, but it's also the site of many horrible businesses, including the soulless real estate development firm where Billy works at the beginning of the movie. He's, I think, supposed to be some kind of illustrator or designer. And this is Daniel Clamp's personal business. It's the business that he's going to use to you know, destroy historic landmarks and replace them with god awful monstrosities. Uh, But the tower also includes television studios for airing things like, uh, of course, there's news, but there's like a cooking show that primarily uses the microwave and an Elvira style hosted horror rerun program. As you mentioned earlier, the one that Grandpa Fred is doing dressed as Grandpa Monster. But, uh, of course, Grandpa Fred complains that he can't show the classic monster movies he wants to show because Mr. Clamp, who owns the network, does not like anything in black and white, only color films.
1: There's a, there's a fun bit of voiceover in the background, like the PA system, uh, announcing uh, how they're going to be showing Casablanca on the uh, the network, uh, now
0: in full beautiful color. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Uh, and then, of course, there is the genetics lab run by Christopher Lee as Dr. Cushing Catheter. I think it's called Splice of Life, <laughs> yeah. and it specializes in unholy, unethical experiments along with the Stanton twins there. Uh, like when we first go in, of course, Christopher Lee is receiving all his germs in the mail, and then we just see all kinds of stuff going on. They're like walking a cow around the room with that like a mind control helmet on and it's saying, I like giving milk. (laughs) Uh, And then there is a frozen yogurt restaurant, which seems unremarkable to me, but I think this is supposed to be something the filmmakers thought was ridiculous and funny. Okay. But anyway, you got that whole situation. The gremlins are unleashed upon this situation. And what follows is a lot of disconnected, chaotic set pieces. But in the setup to that plot, uh, let's see, we, we got a few things that that happened to sort of let us know what's going on. For one of the first things is that Robert Picardo, as Daniel Clamp's fixer, visits the Curiosity Shop, the antique store from the first movie, and meets Key Luke. And uh, he's like, hey, you know, uh, I'm here at your shop. Uh, I'm representing Daniel Clamp. He wants you to sell your business so that we can tear it down and replace all of the historic... Uh, you know businesses and everything in Chinatown with this monstrosity, this big ugly building that's going to reach to the clouds. And Key Luke is not interested, but he seems to be a sick old man. And Robert Picardo's just like we just have to wait him out; he'll die soon. And meanwhile, uh, we see Gizmo watching Rambo on TV. Yeah,
1: because they leave the tele the television set that that um,
0: Clamp uses to uh,
1: send his message and uh, make his offer. And then they're just like, you can keep the TV. And so Gizmo like reaches out of his little cage and he gets the remote. It's one of the. It's the first of many adorable moments with Gizmo.
0: Yeah, he's watching uh, Sylvester Stallone being like, to to win a war, you got to become war. <laughs> uh, and later, Gizmo will become war. It's true. Uh, and so, unfortunately, the, the old man eventually dies, and then we see a very sad, lonely Gizmo, and then the building is destroyed. There's like a wrecking ball knocking it up. So as the antique shop is knocked down, Gizmo escapes, only to be captured in the alley by one of the Stanton twins, the weird ginger twins who work in the genetics lab. Mm-hmm. Then of course we meet Zach Galligan and Phoebe Cates reprising the roles from the first film, as we said, as Billy and Kate. They're living in the city now. They're working in the 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 Clamp Tower. Uh, we we get that first. I, I laughed out loud at the first time we we saw the revolving door not working while the uh, with the voiceover is telling us what a miracle of efficiency it is. And um, and it turns out so that Zach Galligan is working for this real estate development business owned by Daniel Clamp, the one that's demolishing Chinatown. Uh, his boss, again, is Marla Bloodstone. Uh, make of that what you will, by the way, with the name. I think with Bloodstone, they're like going for can't get blood from a stone uh, with Marla. The the film creators claim that the name is a complete coincidence. It was before there was public knowledge of, of Marla Maples. So they say that that's just yeah, just just serendipity.
1: Yeah, I didn't know anything about the Marla Maples thing. I still don't actually know what all this is about, uh, but uh but I did see it referenced in that I think that Terry Gross interview with uh, with Glover where he was like, "Oh yeah, um yeah, we we didn't know about any of of that when we made this. It's just coincidence."
0: Well, anyway, she's like, you know, smoking cigarettes in the office. There's there's a great part where uh we see that Billy has been drawing and I think Robert Picardo comes through to be like offended that Billy has been drawing, and he's like, "How dare you, uh, you know, uh, muddy up this office with your with your art? We have paid millions of dollars to have legitimate art displayed on the walls." And he points to some uh, kind of stupid-looking abstract painting.
1: Yeah, yeah, and, and also he's offended that he has a potted plant. He's yes, like, no, no, you can't. This is a, an infestation, which of course is a nice Uh, a nice allusion to what's coming ahead. You know,
0: there's, there's going to be a real
1: infestation uh, occurring later in the picture.
0: Yeah. So Billy's working up there. Meanwhile, Kate is working as a tour guide for the clamp building, which looks like a horrible job. She leads tours around, uh, and have to go like hawking copies of the art of the clamp. And it's, uh, (laughs) it's, you, you feel for Kate. It, it, she has to wear this really stupid looking hat. Mm hmm. So the setup of the film is that the Stanton twins bring Gizmo into the lab of Dr. Cushing Catheter, again portrayed by Christopher Lee, and they're studying the fact that he can dance to rock and roll music.
1: Oh, it's such a great sequence! I watched this scene twice. It was so it's so cute. It's adorable. Like there's so much going on here because Christopher Lee's character is sort of scowling at the whole affair. Uh, Gizmo comes out and begins to dance and his dance is very cute it's and it's a special effects showcase because it looks totally believable meanwhile the stanton twins they're also dancing a little bit in the background <laughs> so much fun
0: yeah they're rocking in sync with each other uh in a in an almost uncanny way i would say with them but uh yeah, we also learn about a bunch of their other experiments like the this lab is just creating kind of mm, DNA juices of various flavors They're like here's a DNA juice that will turn a rat into a battery so you can power in a light bulb by touching it to the rat and oh no will a will a gremlin drink that later and become electricity <laughs> gremlin I wonder
1: yeah Electricity gremlin who become is more of an important part of this film than you could possibly imagine.
0: Yes. Uh, and many other things like that. There's just various animals in cages, assuming we're getting juice out of them to create DNA juice that would turn whatever drinks it into a bat or into vegetables or whatever. Um So eventually Billy becomes aware that Gizmo is in the building because he hears a delivery man singing Gizmo's distinctive little song. Uh, He's like, where did you hear that? And it's, you know, down in the lab. So Billy sneaks down to rescue Gizmo. He takes him, he hides him in his office file cabinet. And there's a very, like, uh, uh, comedic high tension scene where Daniel Clamp comes for an office visit. And he's like, why does your drawer keep popping open and babbling in a cute little voice? Uh, so Gizmo is almost discovered, but not. But Billy cannot take Gizmo home because his boss Marla Bloodstone insists that he go out to dinner with her. To one of my favorite set pieces in the whole movie, they go to a Canadian Mountie-themed restaurant. <laughs>
1: mm-hmm.
0: This was—I found this especially funny because. Um, when my family went to
1: Epcot uh, in the last year or so, they have a Canadian themed restaurant there, like it's a Canadian steak restaurant hmm. you can go to. And they, they actually have. Uh, some some uh, some nice vegetarian and vegan options there by the way but um but it is totally it's like canadian themed it's not like the first thing i would think of like a restaurant experience i want to have but it was really nice but there were no mounties there were no like all the 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 decorating elements in this scene are just amazing and and pitch perfect like a giant moose head those
0: big ridiculous mugs they have and no offense to canada in fact i'm a pretty big fan of canada i don't I don't usually think of them being known for their cuisine.
1: Well, you've got the poutine, I guess. The poutine, yeah.
0: yeah. And Molson. They're drinking Molson. (laughs) That's right. You want another Molson? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But yeah, so the the Mountie-themed restaurant is great. Uh, Billy sends Kate back to pick up Gizmo, but uh uh-oh, before she can get there, one of the rules gets broken.
1: Start saving on wireless today at visible.com monthly rate on the visible plan for data management practices and additional terms. Visit visible.com.
0: you got to break the rules for the movie to get cranking. A maintenance man comes along. He tries to repair a water fountain and it accidentally squirts some water on gizmo. So gizmo starts popping off. Here come the, uh, the, the fuzzy bad guys popping out of his back and how are they ever going to eat after midnight and turn into green slimy spiky boys well they're in clamp tower there is plenty of food to be found
1: that's john astin by the way the original um uh, uh, gomez from the adams family as oh. the, uh, the 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 uh, the maintenance guy who messes up the water fountain
0: so phoebe Cates accidentally brings home one of the wrong gremlins the googly-eyed gremlin yeah. of key and peel <laughs> sketch fame
1: uh, oh, this Gremlin is ridiculous. Like the I don't know what you call this laugh. It's very similar to the laugh that um uh Christopher Lloyd's character in uh Who Frame Roger
0: Rabbit yes.
1: uses. It's this kind of like just unhinged uh cartoon
0: cackling. Well, also I think one of the weasels in that movie, that can't stop laughing.
1: Oh yeah, I think you're right. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's yeah, it's ridiculous and it's nonstop. All
1: this all the googly eyed gremlin wants to do is Eat some food, but mostly throw
0: food and make a mess. Make a He loves to make a mess. So Billy comes home, finds the googly-eyed gremlin. He's like, "Uh oh, this is not Gizmo. Uh, something has gone horribly wrong." And then the movie is just off to the races. I, I don't think we can describe scene by scene from here on, but maybe we can just focus on some of the subplots. Like, okay. So what do we have to say about, of course the gremlins are going to get into splice of life, the genetics lab. Yeah. So one of them drinks the electricity juice and becomes electricity gremlin. One drinks something. I think they were trying to, Oh, there's a scene where they're, trying to create more durable tomatoes. Uh, and they show them like bouncing off a wall and they say, uh, they say, Oh wow, they are durable, but how do they taste? And the guy goes, well, great news. Our contract is with the airline food provider. So it's a joke. It doesn't matter how they taste, <laughs> but a gremlin drinks that and, uh, turns into vegetables, I guess. Yeah.
1: Yeah. He's like, he just kind of has vegetables growing out of him and his like body is vegetables. Um, uh, we mentioned Brainy Gremlin. Um, spider Gremlin comes online as well. Mm-hmm. Bat, Bat Gremlin. gremlin. Bat yeah, Gremlin leaves
0: the, the Batman hole in the wall and then later flies out on the street, attacks Dick Miller, uh, Dick, gets thrown into wet cement and then flies up on top of a church and sits down and becomes a gargoyle.
1: Yes. Yeah. The, like each of these Gremlins too is just amazing. Like Bat Gremlin is an incredible looking creature. He like has... Has uh, uh, ultimately ends up being like six uh, six limbed gremlin because he has the the flight arms and like little uh, like little, little dinosaur arms and then his legs as well. Uh, just again, fabulous job on all the effects here.
0: Oh, there's Lady Gremlin. What Lady what are gremlin. your thoughts on Lady Gremlin, Rob?
1: Uh, Lady Gremlin <laughs> is very much in this in the the tradition of like Bugs Bunny wearing a dress. Yes, um, but is. Uh, Potentially problematic, I guess, today. Uh, I don't think you would necessarily do this today uh, in, in your Gremlins movie. Um, she, of course, she ends up surviving. This, yes, uh, she falls in love
0: day. with Robert Picardo. And they're married at the end. Like, they are married, movie, yes. This
1: movie <laughs> ends in a marriage between a human and a Gremlin. So um, I think that that speaks volumes about the the tone of the film. But let's see, there have to be some other mutated... Again, there are plenty of gremlins who take on their own identity. Like there's Cigar Smoking Gremlin. Yes. There's Phantom of the Opera Gremlin. There's also like... um, Some just take on fashion choices. Like there's a gremlin that wears a witch hat. There's a gremlin that seems to design and produce his own uh, anti-gizmo t-shirt. You see him hanging in the background. Oh. has a picture of gizmo on it
0: with a circle and a strike through it. Um, I didn't notice that. Wow. They are yeah. mean to Gizmo. Yeah. Yeah. They know who Gizmo is and they hate him. Yeah. There, there are a couple of gremlins. One, just has kind of like a, an overbite kind of a donkey face. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. He's kind of, um, yeah, he's not as googly eyed as the googly eyed gremlin, but he's also like a little bit, uh, goofy and yeah. he just kind of helps out. He's kind of like a, a stoogy gremlin.
0: Yes. He, the cigar smoking gremlin and him are kind of a pair. Aren't they? Yeah. Yeah. They're kind of, they are a
1: pair and yeah, they never get mutated. I don't know what they would have mutated into necessarily.
0: Like I remember a scene where they attack the film studio while they're shooting a live episode of the cooking show microwaving with Marge Mm -hmm. Uh, and they, the havoc they cause is they throw metal utensils into the microwave and then get it going so that it explodes and starts a fire. Yes, yeah, they do. They do that.
1: Yes, uh, I, I don't know. I was just there's just so there's so many questions one could ask about this film. Like, for instance, when they realize googly eyed Mogwai is not Gizmo, they they just stick him in a bag to bring them back to the office with them. What yes. was their plan? It seems like they know what gremlins are all about. They know the dangers of having too many Mogwai. in In a less family friendly film, it seems like they might want to euthanize the Mogwai right there in the apartment.
0: I think this is a gremlin problem, Grim, gremlin control conundrum. I don't think you can, you can with good conscience, kill the fuzzy gremlins, even though they're the bad ones. You have to wait yeah. for them to turn into the scaly, uh, uh, evil gremlins and then you can kill them.
1: Yeah. You got to give them at least a shot at not eating past midnight, though. Clearly this guy's going to eat past midnight. He's been eating and throwing food nonstop.
0: Now, there's another subplot with uh, with Grandpa Fred, the horror host, which is that he has always wanted to be a newscaster, which why? I mean, if you get to do you get to host a horror show, why would you be like, I really wish instead I was doing like the local news that that just seems like a trade down in every possible way? Yeah, but he gets
1: to live his dreams. He gets to like broadcast live from the, the depths of the Gremlin Nightmare. And uh, and these are fun segments as well. This is definitely in the, the last half of the film where everything just gets exceedingly weird and crazy.
0: Oh, we also – we haven't discussed the Daniel Clamp subplot. So there's a subplot oh, yeah. where he gets attacked by a gremlin in his office, which he manages to throw into the paper shredder because, oh, uh, there's a thing – it goes by quick. You might miss it where – Um, uh, his secretary informs him that his mail has arrived and she's shredding it now. Would she like him to, would he like her to shred anything else?
1: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And this of course leads to the, the shredding of the gremlin. This is kind of our, the first film had all the, the, the horrible deaths for gremlins in the kitchen. This time it gets to take place in a business environment. So the shredder absolutely has to eat a gremlin.
0: Uh, And then we also find it Well, eventually Billy and clamp meet up and Billy explains what's going on to him. And he's like, they formulate a plan where they're going to get all of the gremlins together in the lobby. And then they are going to open up the shutters to shine sunlight in on them and kill them. They're going to fry the gremlins that way. And Daniel clamp is going to execute the outdoor portion of this plan uh, by going through his secret escape route, which uh, Mm -hmm. is like a little like, tube that comes up under a tree on the sidewalk
1: yeah and once he gets out Dick Miller's character is there he goes into the tube so he can go inside to help and of course fight gremlins yeah Dick Miller's very excited about fighting gremlins Um, the Daniel Clamp character also like it's interesting that he's he's very quick to be like oh yeah I see I see that gremlins are a problem let me help Mm -hmm. and he's actually he's reasonably helpful throughout the picture yeah yeah, like he, he doesn't throw up any roadblocks to fighting the gremlins. For that, for that matter, Christopher Lee's character as well, once he encounters the gremlin horror, he's not like, oh, well, we must harness this uh, power for our genetic experiments. No, he's freaking out too, and I think even squares off animal testing before being killed by uh, electricity gremlin. Yes. We were talking beforehand, this may be the only human character that dies in the whole picture.
0: Well, but also maybe Leonard Malton. It's unclear whether okay. <laughs> Leonard Malton survives his gremlin mauling.
1: Yeah, he might have fought him off and, and go on. But that, oh, I love that scene, too, because he's, he's really digging into Gremlins 1. He's like, this film is just trash, and the gremlins are
0: creeping up behind him, of course, and then they jump him, and they start trying to strangle him with uh, film footage. So eventually, uh, we set up for the finale where Dick Miller sneaks into the building. He hooks up with Billy, Kate, and Marla, and they end up using uh, a fire hose and electricity g- gremlin to melt all the other gremlins. Such a classic uh, movie monster ending to set a trap and use electricity to kill the monsters.
1: Yeah, because they, they were going to do the sun, but clouds. And so this is the backup plan. Electricity gremlin has been stuck for a good portion of the film In call waiting, somehow I don't try and think about it too hard. Yeah, Uh, they put him on hold, but they did. They put him on hold, so he's he's held. His electrical potential is in there, and his electrical potential is is seemingly almost limitless. I guess when they blast electricity gremlin into the flooded uh hall, uh, the flooded chamber that's filled with all the other gremlins that are transforming and popping off other gremlins he has enough electricity to just melt and gooify all of them and i guess in the process he's destroyed as well
0: yeah i think that's the case and it makes me think well how much electricity would uh would the rat battery have produced if it had consumed that i mean would you have made like a rat that would be lethal to entire city blocks
1: well i think they were not putting too much of the the mutagen in the rat cuz the rat retained its its physical form and just produced electricity Electricity Gremlin becomes electricity. Yes. <laughs> but, but still, to your point, like, maybe Splice of Life was doing good work. Like, if, <laughs> what if they could have harnessed the power of electricity Gremlin to like, solve the energy
0: crisis? That would be an interesting ending. Yeah, despite all of their unethical research, we do eventually find a limitless source of, of clean energy uh, in, in Gremlin form. Uh, And, of course, the movie ends with a childlike Daniel Clamp. Uh, He sees the drawing that Billy has created of his hometown, which Billy was chastised for earlier, I think, by Robert Picardo, saying, like, you know, this is not real art. Uh, Clamp sees this drawing of his hometown, and he decides that he must create an artificial fake small town uh, based on that drawing, and he will call it Clamp Corners. And everybody just seems okay with this. This is after, I should also mention when the SWAT team comes
1: in uh, at the end, after the, the, the Gremlins have been uh, killed with electricity, Daniel Clamp is like leading the charge, and they've let him dress yeah. up in full
0: SWAT team gear, and he's armed. Yes, <laughs> which was a weird choice. They armed Clamp, and uh, fortunately they didn't need it because all the Gremlins were already melted. Oh, and then uh, Daffy Duck riffs the end credits. Yeah, yeah,
1: Porky Pig. Well, this is this is after the credits roll. It's like this is the stinger. Um Porky Pig shows up to say that's all folks and then Daffy Duck shows up and says, "No, I'm going to do it." And uh yeah, that's the film. Oh, I should mention too this is after the credits roll with uh, uh some more of the score by Jerry Goldsmith. Oh, yeah, pretty good score, I think. Yeah, yeah, it's got that nice da 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 da, you know, it's it's catchy. It's G2 baby. You you can't beat this movie. This is so good. It is indeed a party, a party to which everyone was invited. Like, again, (laughs) there's so many cast members and cameos uh, that we could have profiled here that we just didn't have time for. There's so many just... Little Ellen especially in the last half of the film, there's just so many little things, so many uh, scenes of gremlin mischief uh there's the training montage where Ma, where uh, where Gizmo trains up and then becomes war, becomes this Rambo type oh. figure and slays the spider gremlin to save um, both bloodstone uh, uh, and um uh, uh, what's her name? Uh, our, Phoebe our, Cates. Our lead, yeah. Uh, says Phoebe Cates uh, from The Spider Gremlin. Like, there's just so many moments. Like, there's no wasted energy in this film. Gotta love it. Not a
0: Christmas movie, but uh, but no, a good one for any, any time of year. <laughs> Absolutely.
1: All right, well, we're going to go and close it out there, but we'd love to hear from everyone out there. Perhaps you have opinions and memories and, um, and theories concerning gremlins and gremlins, too. Write in, we'd love to hear from you. Likewise, yeah, any of the various cameos and fun cameos that we didn't have time to uh, to mention here, uh, bring them up in listener mail. We'll talk about them in the future. Uh, reminder that we're primarily a science podcast in the Stuff to Blow Your Mind feed with core episodes on Tuesdays and Thursdays, uh, listener mail on Mondays, Artifact or Monster Fact on Wednesdays. But on Fridays, we set aside most serious concerns to just talk about a weird film like this one. If you want to see a quick listing of all the films that we've covered, you can go over to Letterboxd. That's L-E-T-T-E-R-B-O-X-D. We have a profile there. Our username is Weird House. And we have a list there of all the films that we've covered, and you can look at them in order that we have covered them. I think we're up, we're up into the mid-90s now. We're, we're edging Closer to a
0: Oh, yeah, we're getting close now. We gotta discuss what's gonna be our hundredth film. Uh, anyway, huge thanks to our audio producer, Max Williams. If you would like to get in touch with us with feedback on this episode or any other to suggest a topic for the future or just to say hello, you can email us at contact at stuff to blow your mind dot com. No hidden fees, no surprises, no, really. What are you waiting for?
1: Get with the times and switch to Visible at Visible.com. Monthly rate on the Visible plan for data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. The wait is almost over. Get ready for the
2: 2024 NFL season as the full schedule is announced. Every rival, every rematch, every rookie debut, every game revealed the 2024 NFL schedule release presented by Verizon coming in May live on NFL Network ESPN2 and streaming on NFL Plus
1: terms and conditions apply to NFL Plus visit nfl.com/schedule release to learn
2: more okay picture this it's friday afternoon when a thought hits you i can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever or i can hop into my all new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road